Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Each day we'll look at a text from the weekly readings from the Westgate Church Bulletin. We will look at background material and also application of the text. So once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. The reading today comes from Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. This is Mark's version of what's called the Good Confession, where Peter confesses the identity of, of Jesus. Just a quick reminder, we're in this sermon series, I Love My Church, and we're looking at this coming Sunday, the idea of the church is being a school of discipleship. So a lot of the readings, we're shifting gears here, and we're talking about discipleship the rest of this week. And this is actually going to be the topic for the next eight weeks at Westgate. We're going to have this sermon coming up next week, and then for seven weeks after that, we're going to talk about what does a disciple of Christ look like? What are the markers of discipleship. We're going to look at seven of those in particular. So that's coming on the horizon, and I want you to think about that as we're reading through uh, this text today. So I'm going to read to you now, once again, Mark 8, 27 through 38. This is from the ESV version. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So there's a lot going on in this passage, a whole lot. And we see that Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Now, this this is way out of the way. Uh, Caesarea Philippi uh, was once known as Panius. Uh, Panius is, is near Mount Hermon. And Panius was kind of the epicenter for the worship of the god Pan. Uh, so a very pagan, rich environment. Uh, also, uh, Caesarea Philippi would be a very pagan place too. You've got uh, the name uh, Philip, uh, Philippi, named after the King Philip, but you also have Caesarea, Caesarea. It's named after Caesar himself, Augustus Caesar. So Jesus asked them this question. He asked his followers, his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they give him a lot of different answers. They say, well, you, some say John the Baptist. Now, we know back earlier in chapter 6 of Mark's gospel that Herod Antipas thought that Jesus was uh, somehow John the Baptist come back from the dead. Uh, so there were some people saying, well, he's a lot like John the Baptist in his ministry. There's similarities to John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. There was this belief that Elijah would return before the great day of the Lord. Uh, so somehow this this new prophet comes on the scene either like Elijah or Elijah himself. Now, there's debate about this idea. Is it really Elijah come back from the dead, some type of reincarnation of the prophet of Elijah or a prophet like Elijah? That, that's really not the point we need to worry about. The issue is they're saying that Jesus is one of the prophets, 
one of the prophets. Now, this is a big deal because in that time period, what's called Second Temple Judaism, that's the Judaism of the time of Jesus when he was doing his ministry, it was believed that after Malachi died, the gift of prophecy had ceased. So the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. That's the last prophet. So for about 450 years, the gift of prophecy had left the nation of Israel. So now another prophet is here in Jesus Christ. So this is not just a simple thing, uh, saying that he's one of the prophets. This is a big deal. And then Peter says, you are the Christ. In Greek, that's Christos. That's anointed one. That's Messiah. You are the anointed Messiah of Israel. And in Mark's gospel, there's this secret identity of Jesus all throughout the gospel where Jesus says, hey, don't tell anyone what you just said. Now, there's a reason for this more than likely is if, if it gets out that he is the Christ at this moment, the people will force him uh, to become king. And, and his kingdom is going to be different than, than they even understand. Matter of fact, he's going to get to that here in the next few verses, that this kingdom and his kingship and his enthronement is going to be different than they ever imagined it would be. Then he starts to tell them that he's going to have to suffer and die. And it says specifically, he says plainly about this. So he's not being oblique about it. You know, a lot of times when we teach in the parables, there would be some mystery as to the meaning of the parables. But it says here, he plainly says he is going to have to suffer and die. He will be rejected. And this is not something they're going to understand. Uh, the apostles are going to think, okay, this is strange. You're the Messiah. You I mean, we just said you're the Christos. You're the anointed one. What do you mean you're going to suffer and you're going to die? And then when Peter uh, tries to rebuke Jesus and say, okay, you, you don't need to do this, Lord. You, what are you talking about? Jesus rebukes Peter and calls him Satan. And the whole point of that is the cross is so central to the mission of Jesus. The cross is so important to his identity that anyone that would try to take the cross away from Christ or the cross away from discipleship or the cross away from how to follow Jesus, that is satanic. That's actually from Satan. So that's something we need to think about because that's really important when you consider our walk with Christ. Because the very next thing he says, he calls the crowds up and says, listen, if you're going to follow me, you're going to take up your cross and follow me. Now, you've got to go back to, to that time. You've got to think this is before Jesus dies on the cross. This is before he will be resurrected. So these people are thinking, what is he talking about? Take up your cross. I mean, the cross is an instrument of shame. It, it's horrible. Matter of fact, in Roman popular society, you didn't talk about crucifixion. It was considered to be off limits. It was so horrible and so awful, you didn't talk about it. So Jesus is telling them, you know, hey, if you want to be my follower, you're going to have to take, your, uh, take up a cross and follow me. And that's not going to help your numbers with your evangelistic campaign too much when you tell people, hey, um, join this movement and you're going to carry around an instrument of execution that is an instrument of shame that was reserved for uh, slaves and people that rebelled against Rome. Even a Roman citizen uh, was not able to, uh, you couldn't crucify a Roman citizen. So, so then he gets to this, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And then he talks about losing your soul, gaining the world and losing your soul. Now this is hard for us to kind of parse out what he's saying. But in essence, Jesus is saying, look, you've got to love eternal life more than, than the wants and needs of this world. The things that we think are really important. He's like, put your priorities in the things that matter to God. 
and he uses these superlatives, and he does that in other places where he says, you know, uh, to follow me, you've, you basically got to hate your family. And he's not saying hate your family. He's just saying love me so much more in comparison to these other things. And here he's using hyperbole to say, listen, you've got to love the things of eternity. You've got to love the things that God loves and not be attached to the wants and needs of this world. And, and he's calling us to this life of, of radical discipleship. Uh, we lose sight of this the words of Jesus and, and how it would have sounded to the original hearers, but discipleship is the core message here. Uh, a lot of times we say, well, I'm a Christian, but, but many times in the Bible the word disciple is used as a follower of Jesus, not Christian. Matter of fact, Christian is used just a few times in the New Testament. A disciple is one who walks with Jesus who gives their allegiance to Jesus. They want to, to be with Christ. They want to become like the master. So this is a radical call upon our lives. So today as we think about application of this text, what do we take from this? Well, we take from the text the identity of Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. But in the mission of Christ, the cross is central. His suffering is central, and we have been called to bear our cross too. We are to walk the way of the cross. We are to die to self and live for Christ. So I hope this has helped you today in your, your walk with Jesus. I hope these readings are helping you grow in your faith. I hope you're thinking about discipleship. I hope you're praying about Sunday and what's coming as we contemplate becoming a school of discipleship at Westgate. Hope you have a great day. Hope to see you again tomorrow.